Hello and welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple, the podcast about words, anything to do with words at all. So I'm Susie Dent and I'm sitting opposite Giles Brandreth. And uh, today we're going to be talking about um, gaps, mind the gaps, all the gaps in English that, you know, just for things that we just don't have a word for. And there are so many of them. But before I start, Giles, you very recently said you were going to tell me about names with five letters in them. Yeah, because you are so lucky, Susie Dent, in that your name is Susie, S-U-S-I-E. That Mm -hmm. has got five letters in it. I'm very blessed too because my name is Giles G-Y-L-E-S and all the great people in the history of the world have names containing just five letters I know this because I discovered that Oscar Wilde had a thing about five letter names Uh and he had concluded that all the greats in the history of the world had names of five letters so you think Plato Plato Jesus Giles Susie Oscar in fact Oscar and Wilde which is quite intriguing. Oscar Wilde used to say that 100 years from now, my friends will think of me as Oscar, my enemies will think of me as Wilde, both five-letter words. And he felt the ultimate proof of this was when he was in New York and he visited the famous circus owner, P.T. Barnum, and was introduced to Jumbo the Elephant. And he said, there you are, Jumbo. It will become a world-known name. Jumbo. And of course, then Jumbo was simply Jumbo the elephant. And as a result, not necessarily of Oscar Wilde saying it, but his prediction became true because we have, you know, Jumbo sandwiches, we have Jumbo jets, we have Jumbo everything because of Jumbo the elephant. Mm -hmm. Anybody who becomes known by the first name, they're just known by their first name, Mm. uh, whether you like them or not, they're usually, I mean, I remember Terry Wogan saying to me, all the people that people love, they're all just known by their first name. Think of Scylla, you know, and then think of Wogan. If it's a surname, it's Wogan. Scylla, people love Scylla. But people do. I mean, if you're known by one name and it's five, it'll be five letters. When I say to you, Boris, you know who I mean, don't you? It's the five letter okay. power of the five letter word. Yeah. Oh. I like to know Boris as Throttlebottom. Throttlebottom is just perfect for Boris Johnson, really. Uh, I hope he's not listening. But a Throttlebottom, if you look in the dictionary or if you look in sort of dialect dictionaries, a Throttlebottom is uh, a slightly inept person in public office. A throttle bottom. But of course, I'm not saying that Boris is inept. He just likes to pretend that he's inept. Yeah. Well, look, the point is we're talking about him. And one of the reasons we're talking about him is that the name is memorable. It's a five-letter word. So mm. if you're listening to this and you have a five-letter name, yay, feel good about it. There are, of course, exceptions to this rule, as Nelson Mandela explained to me when I met him. <laughs> because I tried to tell him this. This sounds like a sort of just-a-minute excursion to me. I like it. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Tell me about linguistic gaps. Mind the... Can I tell you one other thing? And then I will keep quiet. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'll keep quiet. I had a friend who had a five-letter name, Simon Cadell. He was an actor, and he died, sadly, in the 1990s. He was famous, if people remember him, it's because they saw him in Heidi High television series on British television, Mm -hmm. and he played the holiday camp manager, and he died young in his 40s, and he was my best friend from school. Uh, Anyway, he did a lot of voiceovers, and this is a curious thing to tell you, but today, coming along to our podcast, I came through London Bridge Station. And as I got off the underground, I heard a voice saying, mind the gap, mind the gap. And it was his? It was his. Oh, how amazing. Recorded about 40 years ago, oh. and they're still using it at London Bridge Station. How fantastic. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So I had a little, so I stopped and I waited for two trains to go through to hear the voice again. How nice. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. 
So tell us now about that. linguistic gaps. Well, I'm on Twitter. You're on Twitter. I am. What, what, what is your others. Twitter handle? At Susie underscore Dent. Susie underscore is a bit difficult. I know. The underscore is the lower thing, the isn't it? The underscore is the lower thing. Susie, and but, I am at Giles... Thank you for asking. I'm at Giles B1. <laughs> Giles B1. There are other Giles B's available. G-Y-L-E-S-B-1. Well, there may be. They've been poached by other people. Of course. I, I wanted to get my own name. And there are people just sitting on it, want, know, wanting, know, wanting money, money. And I say I'm not worth it. So I'm just Giles B1. It's just Giles B1. Anyway, thanks to Twitter, um, I am reminded constantly that there are certain concepts, certain emotions, certain things in English for which we apparently have no name. And one of the ones that I'm often asked about is the word that describes leaving important emails until you've got time to address them properly and in the process forgetting about them altogether. So it's a really long, long, but, you know, such a common occurrence that has no name in English. And I'm not aware of any name, so I can't help with that one. But But it's brilliant. It's a real... I mean, this is the story of my life. I do all the superficial stuff first, and then the big, heavy ones. You think I'll get back to that one? Exactly. Which is why I'm afraid I never came back to you during that terrible midlife crisis of yours. But partly (laughs) I knew that you would actually just steam through. It'll fizzle out. It did. It'll fizzle out. Um, So today we're talking about exactly that. So the, the sort of... The everyday occurrences or experiences or feelings that we have, for which would there is no apparent name. So there are um, two solutions to this. One is, I think, looking in a historical dictionary and seeing if that can help you. And very, very often it can. Did you, for example, know that there is a word from Scots for that kind of panicky hesitation that you feel just before you have to talk to somebody or indeed introduce somebody whose name you just can't remember? Oh, yes. Do you know there's a word for that? Tartle. Tartle, as in the famous Diana Dawes story. Oh, I don't know about that. Anyway, okay. so those who do know it will be enjoying that moment. Um, people who won't even know who Diana Dawes was. She was a beautiful and a delightful actress who I knew whose real name was Diana Fluck. Yes. And then when she went back to her old school for speech day or to unveil a plaque or something, the poor headmaster was... Who was like, don't say, don't say. He was absolutely terrified that he was going to say, <laughs> you know, the, the wrong thing. He was determined to get her name right because he wanted to call her by her, her original name, not Diana Dawes. You know, he wanted to call her Diana Fluck and he was sort of absolutely obsessed not to get it right. <laughs> the headmaster, <laughs> absolutely. So he gets up and he says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are so thrilled that returning to the school after all these years years is that great and beautiful and brilliant British actress. Please welcome Miss Diana Clump. No, Miss Diana, thank you for mucking up my joke. I'll do it again, because this is a podcast. We can get away with this one. Uh, um, Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and well, it shows that it's not rehearsed. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please would you welcome that wonderful former pupil of our school, the great British actress, Miss Diana Clunt. <laughs> so he was suffering from tartle. Well, no, he wasn't really, because I think he was concentrating so hard on not saying one thing that he chose another instead. Oh, so it's, it's, but it's the nervousness you feel when you can't yes. remember something. Yes. Well, when you can't remember someone's name, this is you're about to introduce. And what's the them. origin of that? I have no idea. As I say, Scottish. It's in the in the Scots dictionary. Oh, so I don't know. A terrible touch of tartle. <laughs> it's it's the kind of verb I, I do like it. Anyway, um so that's that's the first solution, potential solution is to look within a historical dictionary. And the second one, of course, is to borrow from a foreign language. And um there are so many lists available now of words that exist in other countries, in other languages, which fill the gaps. Uh, in our own. Give me um, your the prime is example. That, 
not many of us can uh, can pronounce them. Well, I suppose the one that everybody knows or at least has heard of, uh, which is consequently not that interesting, but I'll say it anyway, Schadenfreude. It's very interesting because okay. I've heard of it. I have no idea what it means or okay. how to spell it, where it comes from and why you use it. Okay, it's from German. Uh, Schaden means harm or damage and Freude is joy or enjoyment. So it is enjoyment in the misfortune of others. It's oh, pleasure in the misfortune of others. As in the old Chinese proverb, there is no pleasure so great as seeing a good friend fall off the roof. How awful is that? But how interesting. So that's Schadenfreude. So that's a, that's a really well-known one. I um, often feel that. I've reached the age where I speak at a lot of memorial services and funerals. And I often stand up and look out over the congregation and think, yes, I'm we're still alive. We're still here. <laughs> Yes, that possibly is. So it's 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 a the Schaden means what again? It means damage or harm. Damage, and oh. Freude means joy or enjoyment. So it's, or pleasure. It's pleasure in, in someone the... else's misfortune. Oh. There is a lovely opposite for that, by the way, which you can find in uh, older dictionaries, and that will be one of my trio at the end of the podcast. One of my three words that might enrich people's. So this vocabulary. is the reason that during all that Brexit stuff. Some people were saying that the Europeans would be a sense of schadenfreude if it all went wrong for the UK if they left. Yes, so that, absolutely. That, that's the way it's been used. And, it's and why does it with have German, a capital S? Because German words German have... German nouns all have capital letters. Fine. Staying with German, there are some other wonderful ones. You don't need to ask me how to spell this one. We'll be here forever. Um, but uh, it's quite useful for me because I appear on a comedy show called 8 Out of 10 Cat Stars Countdown. And the host of that programme, Jimmy Carr, is always rude to me, basically. He delights in being rude in his introductions to me, but secretly I quite like I have to say because it makes me feel part of the team but anyway they're all a bit nasty and so I often think about Jimmy that he has a Buckpfeifengesicht say it again Buckpfeifengesicht don't ask me to spell it please it means, spell no, it. no it's too long it means a face badly in need of a slap oh say it again say it again Buckpfeifengesicht 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 a face that needs slapping a face badly in need of a slap um I'm just going to get. I'm just going to riff on German because they have so many words for which we have. Well, no I don't like that equivalent. one. I don't think it's an acceptable word. Oh, okay. I'm not sure you like this one either, and it's not particularly PC either. Um, and that's Drachenfutter, which oh. translates drag translates as dragon food or dragon fodder, and that the Germans use for a gift that a man, usually a man, will buy his wife or partner to make up for some misdemeanour or wrongdoing. Dragon food. Isn't that yeah. awful? Oh, it's awful. It oh, awful. I see to appease the dragon. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, so I'm just going to stay with Gemma for a little bit because... do you Have you heard of the writer Ben Schott? Of course I have. Okay. I've just read, with great enjoyment, his P.G. Woodhouse update. He's done a P.G. Woodhouse oh, story nice. uh, making um, Bertie Wooster a kind of modern James Bond. Oh, how fantastic. It's most entertaining. Well, and I'm a great P.G. Woodhouse fan, so Ben Schott did it, uh, so I recommend that. He's done lots of... Uh, Different kind of just they're called miscellanies, shots miscellanies, and they're uh, they're fun. They're full of sort of apparently useless but actually riveting information. And he did something uh, called Schottenfreude, and we've talked about Schadenfreude. Schottenfreude was his take on uh, German words for which we have no English equivalent. But the beauty of it was that he and a German translator made up the German words in order to fill gaps that they had identified in the English language. And the result is just hilarious. Uh, so, for example, he will have, uh, and again, don't ask me to spell it, because uh, we'll be here forever. That is German after all. Uh, Deppenfahrer Beugung. 
Now, Beugung is his word for the compulsion to stare at the person you're just overtaking in your car. We do need a word for that, don't we? We always stare at the person that we're, t- we're overtaking, at least I do. You mean you turn to look at them? Yeah, always. God, you learned driving from the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> that's yeah, that's very Beugung. dangerous. There's also... Um, I like it as a word. Speichelgleichmut. Speichelgleichmut. Now that translates in English as saliva stoicism, and that is pretending not to notice when someone spits at you in conversation. So it's really clever things like this. Say it again. Speichelgleichmut. So I won't give you the German equivalents, but he had the other gaps, the shortages in yes. our language that he identified were uh, the times when you mistake a paunch for a pregnancy. Oh. Uh, yes. When at a yes, dinner, that happens on the underground. You're offering, a, oh, offering a seat. Some, to Must somebody who thinks was going to have a baby and just there, you know, they've got a. You have what to be careful. Uh, when at a dinner, both of your neighbours turn, <laughs> leaving you to stare at your plate. Oh, no. <laughs> I've been there. And when that's I'm, why, if I may say so, just to throw in something here, yeah. that's why we can all learn so much from the Queen. Okay. Because, as you know, the Queen at table, she turns to her right during the first course. Her left during the second course, back to her right in the third course. And that evens out the time perfectly because the right is their shorter course and everybody then does the same. Simple solution. So there you are. And she, of course, is German. Of course. By descent. What is is the German word for this... Um, I can't... Actually, I really can't remember. It doesn't matter anyway. Um, Another one. I'll just give you one more example. Uh, a lull, when a lull in ambient noise suddenly exposes you as shouting. <laughs> That's another really clever one, especially in the cinema, if you're just sort of speaking quite loudly over music and then suddenly the music stops yeah. and you're just still shouting. You're not I, one of those people who talk in the cinema. I absolutely don't, no. I hate um, to be... i tell you the other thing now that's happened in the cinema. We've got a lovely cinema near us, uh, but it's got sort of day beds in. You know, you don't, you don't go and sit in the cinema like you used to. You now lie back as though you're at a Roman orgy and there's a little table on the side. Oh, I love where, of course you love it. But are you one of the people who brings in not just popcorn, but packets of sweets that you no. rustle and open, no. slurping of wine, you know, the wonderful gurgling. wonderful entertainment and... podcast, that, and Mark Hermode and Simon Mayo uh, do the most, as you will know probably, do the most wonderful film review. And they have a code, code of conduct for the cinema, and absolutely no sweet wrappers, no talking, no mobile phones, no light from mobile phones, all of that. I agree. And during the ads as well, I love a good ad. Oh, we might have an ad break in a moment. I love a good ad. Uh, I love the ads, I mean. <laughs> I, I, I love the ads. I love the ads. I also love the trailers. Mm. Uh, though sometimes the trailers irritate me because I think I've had the whole film. You think I've had the whole film. Yeah. And then you see the film and it's much better than the trailer. That's true. Actually, that's another Mark Kermode um, beef. Okay, give us a couple more, the then trailers. we'll take our break. Yes, I'll give you a couple more. Well, I won't give you a couple more of the Schottenfreude one, though I do recommend it. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, just to stay with foreign words just for a minute, um, another thing, and I'm actually genuinely asked about this quite a lot, uh, and we all know one, we might, might be one, and that is somebody who is always convinced that they're going to arrive on time, but are always late. And they are in uh, German, in Swedish rather, a tits, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, so forgive me if I've got it wrong. Tits optimist, a time optimist. Oh, tits optimist. Yes. Tits optimist. Tits as in a D, by the way. Well, I'm a tits optimist that we will get to our little break on time. But as ever, we've got to it a bit late. Hey, it's Kate. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Mind the gap, mind the gap, and Susie Dent is filling the gap with words that don't exist but ought to. Yes, well, sometimes they do, uh, as I have mentioned. So sometimes there will be a concept or a feeling or an experience for which we think we have no word in English, but we do. So I will in a minute come to all the words that are in historical dictionary that you won't know know about, but what might actually be incredibly useful. But I'm just going to for a minute stay with foreign words. So foreign words that could be useful if we uh, if we borrowed them in. Now, I'm staying with German just because German, as you know, Giles is my passion. Um, so. Now, in lists of these wonderful foreign words, you will almost always find this word from German and it's Kummerspeck. Kummerspeck. <laughs> and that translates literally as grief bacon. Oh. And grief bacon is the little bit of weight that you put on in times of distress or loneliness or generally feeling mm. low. Kummerspeck. That is a very useful word. It is, isn't it? So when you're confusing the person you thought was pregnant, in fact, they put on a little bit of a paunch, they can say, oh, it's just Kummerspeck. It's just a bit of Kummerspeck. Kummerspeck. How do yes. we spell that one? K-U- M M E R S P E C K. Lovely. Kummerspeck. Kummerspeck. Gosh. The trouble is, the Kummerspeck, in my case, doesn't come off. So it's got Kummerspeck on Kummerspeck, all those little difficult moments. Too much speck. Um, well, actually, not too much speck because you're a vegetarian like me. Anyway, uh, another one from Swedish, which is lovely. Um, you might have heard of this one, Lagom. Lagom, Lagom no. quite simply. Uh, maybe Goldilocks was Swedish because it means not too much, not too little but just right. Oh. Lagom. Lagom. Because yes. Goldilocks didn't want the porridge. Too hot, too, too hot, cold. Too cold, but just right. Lagom just right. means just right. Yes. So if you get something served and you say, how is it? Lagom. Yes. Just right. I love it. Um, now, uh, this is from another book actually called Toujours Tingo, uh, written by Adam Jacques de Moineau, uh, which is, sounds like an anagram if ever there was one. But he um, published a book called Toujours Tingo, which was uh, just this. It was about words that exist in foreign, foreign languages which we might find quite useful. Tingo itself actually means borrowing items from a friend's house one by one until there's absolutely nothing left. Oh, that's funny. Um, but another one from Tagalog, <laughs> the language of Tagalog, is leogenic. Now, leogenic is uh, basically describes somebody, <laughs> it's very, very mean, this, so I apologise in advance, somebody who from afar looks rather attractive, but close up, not so much. <laughs> Now, I remember on University Challenge, 
uh, Jeremy Paxman actually asking the question. University Challenge being a very British uh, tradition, really. It's a, it's a quiz show for university um, undergraduates in, in Britain. Um, and he asked the question of the students there. He said, what does Bob Fock mean? What does the acronym Bob Fock means? And it means um, Body Off Baywatch, Face Off Crime Watch. Oh, no. That's awful. That anyway, is that's terrible. And what is the word for somebody who looks... Leo, mo- leogenic. They're leogenic. It means they look great at a distance. sounds nice, But as it? it gets closer and closer. And what is Tagalog? Where does that country Tagalog. Come? Tagalog. Is that an invented... Is it like... It's not an invented language. And Who um, speaks Tagalog? Well, I think it's the Philippines. Do I have this right? Yes, it's Austronesian. And it's um, a first language spoken by a quarter of the population of the Philippines. So in the Philippines, they speak Tagalog. And they have... Say that word again. I love it Leogenic. So Leogenic. Yes. And it's one of those great things that actually sound nice. But, uh, well, it's rather like the definition, isn't it? I know. It's a wonderful word. It's probably not politically correct nowadays. Because you can't not. make personal remarks. No. Although it's not gendered. So it could be, you know, could be applied to any gender yeah, at all. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's personal, I agree, isn't I agree, it? I agree, Say I agree. somebody looked cute at a distance and then they get, yes. come face to face and think, Ugh. No, I agree. It's horrible. So as they approach, you go, ah. Faces. As they come closer, you go, ooh. Yeah, not nice. No, Let's forget that one. Nice. I just thought it was quite funny. But you're right. So... I did say that there are many more gaps in English that we once amply filled. If you look in the dictionary, there were actually words for these things. And I'm, I'm not talking about words for things that, or words that we didn't even know existed, like um, the aglet. Do you know what an aglet is? No idea. An aglet is that little plastic tube at the end of a shoelace. Oh, how wonderful. That's an aglet. Oh. Do you know oh, what? I always take away something very special from something rhymes with purple, and today I'm taking away an aglet. Aglet. Do you know what the philtrum is? The philtrum, no. I love this. It comes from the Greek for love potion, and the philtrum is that little dent at the top of your lip. Oh, is it PH? P-H-I-L-T-R-U-M. That's, that's how I got, from you saying love potion, maybe think of a love filter, P-H-I-L-T-R-E. Yes. So a philtrum, P-H-I, the little indentation the beneath your nose, between the lip and the nose, yes. is a philtrum. Philtrum, whereas the glabella is that little bit between your eyes at the top of the nose. The glabella. The glabella. The, you see, this is what love poetry has lacked all these years. <laughs> Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thy philtrum. Philtrum. Is beautiful. ever so pretty. So I'll give you a few more, yep. uh, if you like. Glabella. Um, for example, this is just very pithy. To hiss a poor performer off the stage, which is clearly what happened to you when you played Hamlet, is exhibilate. Exhibilate. To exhibilate someone. That's very good. To banish them. And that it's all linked into the to the word which is completely incidental and not a foreign word. But to explode goes back to uh, the Romans word ex, off, plaudere, clap, ah. as in applaud, uh, plaudits, etc. Because they would boo and hiss somebody off the stage very, very loudly uh, and make such a noise that we took the word explode from explodere to make a very loud noise and eventually to detonation. So poor Roman actors would be exploded off the Roman stage. But also they could be hissed off, which would be... Exhibilated. Exhibilated. Yes. Exactly. Um, I like this one from the 1700s. Flobbly mobbly. Flobbly mobbly? Flobbly mobbly. Neither well nor unwell. Oh, I like that. So rather than just saying, I'm all right, thanks, just say I'm a bit flobbly mobbly. I love that one. Um, Now, this is a useful one in my house. Huffle buffs. Huffle buffs. Huffle buffs are the old scruffy clothes that are perfect for lounging around in. So the sort of kind that you get into on a Friday evening and don't get out of until Monday morning. Is that what goes on in your house? Oh, yeah. 
You're joking, I Everyone's hope. got a pair of Huffle Buffs. Huffle Buffs? Yes. I know that sort of thing goes on. Clearly Huffle not. Buffs. You have ironed pyjamas, I know it. <laughs> not ironed by you either, I'm, I'm Double-breasted. Yes, absolutely. With turn-ups. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and, okay, two more for you. Quaff-tide. Quaff-tide. You could probably guess what this one is. Something to do with drinking. Yes. Quaff-tide is the hour or season when it's time for a drink. Oh, it's quaff You can declare it's quaff oh, And finally, I bet you didn't know there was a word for coughing and breaking wind at the same time. Well, it's so unfortunate when that happens. Though in some ways, it's quite useful when it happens because maybe the cough <laughs> um, covers the breaking of the wind. Maybe. What is that called? Well, it's just I call it a double whammy. <laughs> Again, it's just pithy. It's not particularly interesting, but it's a thorough cough. Goes back to the 1600s. Can I say it is interesting? A thorough cough. A thorough cough. Yes, it's, it's going... one where you eliminate everything, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Almost everything, anyway. From one end and t'other. <laughs> a cough yes. and a, a, a fart at the same time yes. is a... Thorough cough. A thorough cough. I love it. Yes. I don't like people who do it, though. I'm against all of that. Okay. Especially I, if you're I'm in the tube. I'm totally against that. Um, yeah. I'll give you my exhibilate story. Okay. And then you can give us our trio for today. Okay. Yes. My exhibilate story. Exhibilate is hissing somebody off the stage. A poor performer, specifically. There was a famous actress called Gladys Cooper, Dame Gladys Cooper. And Dame Gladys Cooper was a British actress. She was in Hollywood. She was in movies as well. And for many years, she ran the Playhouse Theatre in London. And she had a sister called Sissy Cooper. And Sissy Cooper was both her understudy and her lady's maid, her dresser. And one night, Sissy Cooper had to go onto the stage because the person playing a part in the play was ill. And Sissy Cooper had this very small part. I think she was playing a maid in the play, starring her sister, Gladys Cooper. And she'd never really walked onto the stage before. And she was terrified um, when she went across the stage. And as she went across the stage, she heard the audience hissing. And she thought, this is my first appearance, and they're hissing me. They're hissing me. It's too awful for words. And she came into the wings and burst into tears. And it was the matinee. She had to do it again in the evening. Again, the hissing, terrible hissing. When she walked across the stage, she was in such a state of distress. So the third performance, she said, I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it again. They said, please do it one more time, and we will go to the audience and see what's going on. And she came on, and again, there was the hissing. But they weren't hissing her. Members of the audience were turning to one another, seeing her come onto the stage and saying to one another, that's Sissy Cooper, Gladys Cooper's sister. Sissy Cooper, Gladys Cooper's sister. Sissy Cooper, Gladys Cooper's sister. And it sounded like a hiss. True story. And nowhere are you hearing a theatrical anecdote quite like that, except on something rhymes with purple. But the reason you listen is because you want to know Susie Dent's trio, those three extraordinary words that once you pop them into your vocabulary will enrich it and will make your conversation more enjoyable. What have you got today? Well, I'm going to start with the one that I promised a little bit earlier, which is the opposite of schadenfreude. So the opposite of pleasure in somebody else's misfortune, and that is pleasure in someone else's happiness. And it's one of my all-time favourite words, uh, and I think of it every Christmas, um, and in fact, many occasions throughout the year. Pleasure in someone else's happiness is confelicity. Oh, I love it. Isn't that beautiful? Con felicity. And it is, felicity is happiness, mm-hmm. which is Con why... means with. Which is why often cats are called Felix, because they bring you happiness. Con means with, so it means sharing happiness. happiness. So it means sharing with the joy of others. Yes, oh, beautiful. Oh, um, lovely. I love that. Um, staying with foreign words, because we're talking about minding the gaps. Um, panapo. Panapo. Could be panapo. Panapo, so, as, it, as in pana chocolat? No. P-A-N-A. This is from Hawaiian. Panapo. P-A-N-A. And then P-O apostrophe O. Ah, oh, panapoing, or yeah, panapoing, I think is the way you pronounce it, means to scratch your head 
in the effort to remember something you've forgotten. Oh, it's lovely. As in Lauren Hardy, which everyone did that. Yeah, that's true. That was Laurel. Yeah. Oh, did you see no, the film? Did you see was, Stan yes, and Ollie? Did you see no, Stan and Ollie? Oh, it's delightful. I've heard it's, amazing. it's really, really enjoyable. Yeah. No, I, I, have I, would, heard I would see that. It is very, very good. Um, so that is my third, I my love second it. one. Panapo. So that's when you're screaming. Look, I'm doing it now. Yeah. It's, it's like, where, did I, new, where did I leave my car keys? That kind of thing. Um, and at my, hmm, what should I choose as my third one? I think I'm going to choose. The word. I must tell the listeners she's actually doing a little bit of a panapo as she I tries am. to remember what her third one's going to be. No, I'm just I'm just being spontaneous. Uh, and again, it's very very useful for uh, something that we all do. You might not know that there was actually a term for it, and that's groking. G R O A K I N G. Now to groke is to look enviously at somebody else's food in the hope they might share it with you. Oh. All dogs do it. If there are any chips around, or humans do it, uh, it's croaking. There is a word for it. This happens all the time. Every meal I'm at, I sit down, my wife's food is served, and then I do this looking at her thing. She says, all right, we will swap. So now what she's... Because hers always looks better. She's now taking to ordering what she thinks I will like <laughs> and hopes that I will order what she will like. Because you're a croaker. I always knew it. Uh, so I'm, I'm a, I've been a secret croaker without knowing it what it was. But what's so sweet about her is I feel there's a kind of confelicity. I agree. Because I sit there scratching my head, doing a little bit of um, panapoing. Uh, panapoing. Panapoing. I've enjoyed the convalicity of our company. I have too. And Mind so if, if you've enjoyed us, please, you know, write a review, whatever you download your podcast from. Uh, give us a rating, if it's a nice one, and um, tell your friends. Uh, if not, well, there you go. You can't win them all. Um, but it's been fun for us. We're doing Something Rhymes With Purple. Let's do some more. Let's do some more. Something Rhymes With Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Russell Finch, Steve Ackerman and Josh Gibbs.